be introducing my husband, who is going to speak this morning. Yay! Oh, the kids can go out too. Oh, they're probably already gone. No, they're gone. <laughs> I probably would have if I was a kid too. Um, so, let's give Dean a hand. We're going to do a baby swap. Thanks, Andy. Quick little baby swap. <laughs> Sorry, Lucy hasn't... Um, she hasn't learned church etiquette yet. <laughs> uh, she, she doesn't know when to be when she needs to be quiet <laughs> and when she needs to speak. But I hope you all enjoy it. <laughs> um, it's a good morning, isn't it? Just reminded of that verse in the Bible that says, um, "You know, when they said, let 'Let's go to the house of the Lord,' I was glad." And how good is it to be in church this morning? And um, just feels good. Thank you to Claire and. Perno for that. I think, Claire, that's your first time back, is it? How good to have Claire a part of our worship team. And, and I know Rosie's first morning back for all these mums as well, returning off to maternity leave, um, get to juggle mum life and church life as well, with supportive husbands, of course. Um, but no, nah, it's good. I'm going to pray and then we'll get into the message. So, Father God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, God, that we can be in the church this morning, God, we thank you that verse that says, you know, when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord, you know, we were glad and we are glad to be here this morning, God. We believe that you are moving. We believe, God, that you are positioning us for this season, God, as a church, but just individually that you're doing things in our lives. And we just even thank you for the sense of freedom, Lord, in worship, the sense of freedom in praise, God, that you actually, you know, God, you love us so much that, you know, yes, you care about the church, but you care about all of us, where we're at and what's going in our lives. And it amazes us, Lord, that in a time of worship, God, that your Holy Spirit can move in each of our hearts and lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, love church. Love being here. Um, it just seems like there's such a sense of community and life that's forming. You know, last Sunday at church, we had, uh, we had a donut wall. Um, we also had Vision Sunday as well, which is probably more important than the donut wall, depending who you talk to. Um, if you missed last Sunday, I encourage you. Um, so Dave and Chriselle Izzard are our senior ministers, and they brought an awesome message about countercultural. And um, don't miss that. It's on our SoundCloud. If you don't know how to get to SoundCloud, it sounds like it's a destination. If you don't know how to access that, um, talk to Ryan Perno. He'll show you how to find that online. Um, Oh, it's also on podcasts. There you go, Highway Christian Church podcasting. I didn't even know that. I should know these things. <laughs> that was probably Ryan who did that, so well done, Ryan. Um, but no, they brought an awesome message about countercultural, and really that set the tone um, for this season for us as a church um, and for the rest of this year. And when I was um, preparing this week, I kept coming back to the word empowered. And I just think that this season, what does God want to do? God actually wants to empower us. He wants to empower his church. Um, to be empowered is to be given authority or power. To empower someone is to make someone stronger and more confident. And empowered people are enabled and equipped. And, um, you know, for this season, what does God want to see his church? He wants to see his church, this church, us being enabled and equipped. Um, Dave last week, he, he spoke about a wilderness season and how some of us may feel like we've, we've come out of that or coming out of that 
And, um, you know, Jesus himself went through a wilderness season. And when he emerged out of that season, you know, he may have gone into a season one way, but when he emerged out of that season, he came out another way. He actually came positioned and empowered and equipped. And I believe that's the same for us. As we come out of a season into this season, we're actually going to come out positioned, empowered, and equipped. Now, I just look at a verse from Luke 4. So Jesus is in the wilderness. The devil has taken his best shot at tempting him. And we pick up in verse 14, and it says, Then Jesus, coming out of the wilderness season, armed with the Holy Spirit's power, returned to Galilee, and his fame sped throughout the region. He taught in the synagogues, and they glorified him. Other versions say that Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just love that. I love how starting one way, finishing another way, finishing empowered. And may this be a season where we as a church are stronger and more confident, a season where God is giving us authority and power to do something. You know, and Dave shared this last week, uh, Luke 4, verses 18 to 19. You know, what is God empowering us to do? Why would God empower us? Luke 4, 18 to 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to be the hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted and new eyes for the blind and to preach to the prisoners, you are set free. I've come to share the message of Jubilee for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. And as disciple of Jesus, like this was Jesus announcing his ministry. But for us as people who follow Jesus, that same call is actually there for us that same empowerment the reason why God empowers us is to actually do the same you know and what does what's the fruit of people walking out an empowered life what can we expect so the fruit of an empowered life is salvation people finding life people coming back to life people finding healing wholeness people encountering and walking out hope and joy and how do we know this? Because when we look at the life of Jesus, what happened? Those things actually happened. People were healed. People found life. People found wholeness. People found hope. You know, when you, not just the life of Jesus, but when you look at the early church in Acts, what happened? The same actually happened. Um, in John 14, 12, uh, we read Jesus telling his disciples, you know, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these, because I go to be with the Father. And come on, like even greater miracles, what does that look like? Have we seen that? Even greater miracles than what Jesus did. You know, may that just sink in. May that stir your faith. You know, and it says in the word that the early church saw people added to it daily. And I sort of feel like that's sort of the benchmark for the church, isn't it? If the early church saw people at a daily, I think that's sort of the benchmark for us. You know, let's allow that to sink in, allow that to stir our faith. And let's, um, I don't know, what are we believing for in this season? What can God do? Let's allow that to stir our faith and propel us into this season. You know, let's be expectant in this season. And to echo uh, Dave and Chriselle, what they said last week, Countercultural is focused. Countercultural has a sound. Countercultural reaches out 
and countercultural is about God and not religion. This year is a year of building a countercultural kingdom community with a strong sense of community within the church, making lifelong disciples and bridging the gap between our region and the church. And come on, as God empowers this church, I believe that we're actually going to see this. And it's so cool to see so much life popping up uh, and community happening already. Um, with Rosie being on maternity leave, um, it's sort of cool the people that she gets to connect with, um, you know, Christian, non-Christian. But I always look forward to hearing um, who she's caught up with. So I know this week she was able to catch up. I think Leanne was there. I don't know if Nora was there this week. Nancy was there. Sometimes Lynn is there. And I love the cross-generational sort of connections that are happening. Um, yeah, it's just really cool. You know, and I think don't need to explain too much that we know that our region has been through a lot in this last season um, with the fires and with um, the floods. And just how cool in the sense of that, um, God positioning his church to make a difference and positioning us to make an impact. I think, Je I think Dave shared last week that the, a pastor from down in an apostolic church in Victoria, he actually coordinated the relief efforts for the Black, Black Saturday, wasn't it? The Black Saturday fires. Um, he coordinated that and he's actually offered to come up and meet with the churches on the coast here between Kolbara, Ulladulla and Batemans Bay to help us coordinate a relief effort. And how is that God actually positioning us as a church in this time to actually have an impact? Also empowering the church to make a difference. And, you know, we don't even know what we're going to do, but we're going to meet with this pastor and he's going to lead and it's going to be something good and something unexpected. And how amazing God just positioning in this and you know I want to look at a couple of stories this morning and the first one is I want to look at Esther um, partly because she was a woman of God uh, a Jewish young woman who became queen and God actually positioned her for an impact um, you know I love the Bible that um, there's so many different people and so many different characters and stories but the same theme runs throughout the whole thing and um, when you read the, the story of Esther, in so many ways, her life and what happens in the story actually prefigures Jesus and gives us a picture of what was to come uh, when he was on the earth. So the story of Esther, I'll try and explain. I'll try and have a drink as well. Is everyone good? Are you good. You guys are all really quiet. Even Lucy's quiet. Maybe she has learnt church etiquette. No. It's funny with like Lucy this week learning, uh, learning how to clap. If you catch her at a good moment, she'll do it on command. <laughs> um, but I think this morning in praise, when everyone started clapping, she sort of has realised what it was and was looking at everyone a bit like, what? They're all doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she enjoys it. And she hasn't, um, so her milestone was like clapping this week. She hasn't yet learnt to crawl. Her, her thighs are a bit of a barrier at the moment. <laughs> She's trying to get there. <laughs> you, you understand, Leanne? <laughs> but yeah, she's, she's getting there. Little Miss Chatty. We, um, 
Rosie and I, we spent, <laughs> we didn't get much, like Rosie's talking about sleep deprivation, like in the last eight months, particularly the last four months. Uh, Lucy was up probably every hour last night and 5am I had her and I put her in her bed and just going, Lucy, you really got to sleep? And she just looks at me and starts clapping. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, how can I be angry at you? <laughs> oh, parent life, hey. Ryan and Ebbs get to look forward to that. But she's only done that a few times. She's really, like, she knows night is night and day is day, which is a really important thing for us all to know. But we're like, what are you turning into? <laughs> Nocturnal. <laughs> um, anyway, little Miss Chatty at 5 a.m. All good things. So, back on task. So, if, if I, <laughs> I don't know, if things come out backwards, sorry, just blame sleep deprivation. I struggled trying to say the word synergage before. I can't even say it properly now. Anyway, that's a couple more tricky words to come up. So Esther, let's focus on Esther. So through a series of circumstances, Esther finds herself in the position of queen and becomes aware of a plot to wipe out her people, the Jewish people. Um, She was in a position to make something happen, although was hesitant. If handled the wrong way, it could mean her death. So um, Esther's parents uh, aren't alive. So until she was queen living in the palace, she was under the care of her uh, cousin, uh, whose name was Mordecai, who really uh, an awesome father figure in her life. So while she's in the palace, Mordecai actually became aware of the plot to actually kill the Jewish people, which if we're talking about themes, it seems to be a continual theme, doesn't it, in the world and in the Bible. Um, so Mordecai sent a message to her and in Esther 4, 13 to 14 it says do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape for if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish and who knows that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this you know, for such a time as this, you know, Esther could have stood back and did nothing. Uh, She would have perished. Relief would have come from, you know, God would have raised someone else to actually do that. But there was something of call and purpose on Esther to actually see something happen for her people in that situation. And, you know, I believe for us in our community right now, you know, yes, with the, the tragedies of the bushfires and the floods, that yes, you know, for such a time as this, God's called us to make an impact. But I think regardless of what's happening in our community, God has called us to make an impact for this time. And I love you know, being a part of a church where multi-generational, so many different people with so many different connections, the people that you connect with are completely different people than who I connect with. And we can just dream and imagine what can God do in this season with each of us, with you know, one church between Aladala and Kolbara positioned to make an impact. You know, Luke 4, hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, and sight for the blind. Esther realized that God had placed her in a position for a purpose. In verse 16, Esther decides that she will do as her cousin said. She asks her people to fast. And then she says, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So there were risks involved for Esther. If she went to the king at the wrong time, it seems strange to imagine that this could happen. But going at the wrong time could actually mean her death. But I love her determination and I love her faith. I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Crazy words. 
She stepped out in a place of faith. She took a risk and put her trust in God. And the result was that her people were saved. They were spared. To be countercultural, we're each going to have to step out in a place of faith, trusting God to see something of heaven, the kingdom of heaven established that we have not seen before. But I think and I hope that we can take heart that we're actually not, you know, our lives aren't on the line. We're not going to perish as we step out in faith for, for this. So to bring that little bit together, Esther was positioned. She was empowered. She had focused not on herself, but on the larger picture of God's heart and God's plan. And something of the kingdom was released. And maybe, maybe a key for this season, uh, Esther's response in this situation, she didn't have a careless response. She didn't do it alone and she didn't rush in. She prayed, she planned, she asked her people to fast and then made it happen at the right moment. You know, I guess a bit of a mixture of bravery, faith, wisdom and skill in handling that situation. Now I want to look at two stories uh, of Jesus walking out his mission from Luke 4 and being countercultural and then hopefully leave a bit of time for us to enjoy some coffee and catch up afterwards. Does everyone remember, let's see, let's see who's listening. Everyone remember what countercultural is. What is countercultural? I said it a little bit before. Yes, it is against the tide. Yeah, it is. There were four things that I said. Yes, focused. <laughs> so countercultural, it is focused. It has a sound. It reaches out. And it's about God and not religion. So we're going to look at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So Luke 19, 1 to 9. So in the city of Jericho, there lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus, who was a supervisor over all tax collectors. As Jesus made his way through the city, Zacchaeus was eager to see Jesus. He kept trying to get a look at him, but the crowd around Jesus was too massive. Zacchaeus was a short man and could not see over the heads of people. So he ran ahead of everyone and climbed up a blossoming fig tree so he could get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. When Jesus got to that place, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down, for I'm appointed to stay at your house today. So he scurried down the tree and came face to face with Jesus. As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, Look at this. Of all the people to have dinner with, he's going to eat, with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. Zacchaeus joyously welcomed Jesus and was amazed over his gracious visit to his home. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, Half of all I own I will give to the poor. And the Lord, if I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay back four times as much as I stole. And I love, I love how Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector. Of course he's cheated people. He's like, oh Lord, if I've cheated anyone, <laughs> I'll give back to the poor four times as much as what I stole. And Jesus then said to him, This shows that today life has come to you and your household. For you are a true son of Abraham. The Son of Man has come to seek and save out the life. Sorry. The Son of Man has come to seek out and give life to those who are lost. 
In some other translations, it says, you know, today salvation has come to this household. It's super cool, isn't it? You know, what an incredible story about a man who probably for most of his life had spent going in the wrong direction. One encounter with Jesus and his life is completely turned around. And, you know, no matter how long someone travels in the wrong direction, you can always turn around. No matter how long we go in the wrong direction, there's always an opportunity to turn around, isn't there? It's never too late. Um, To understand a little bit more about, you know, the miracle in this story and God moving in Zacchaeus's life. So Zacchaeus, he was he was a thief, um, a tax collectors. Unfortunately, they weren't known for their honesty. Um, the type of people who, in your worst moment, would probably triple the price of the toilet paper. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe t- buy out all the toilet paper. I don't know. I'm not pointing fingers. <laughs> Uh, in Luke 2, 12 to 13, Jesus um, was baptizing some tax collectors and he even made a point to them when they said, oh, like, Lord, what do we have to do? And Jesus, like sort of indirectly but directly makes a point to them um, to tell them not to collect more than what was legal. A pretty like basic thing to do, isn't it? You know, Lord, what should we do? He's like, oh, you're a tax collector. Maybe just take what you're only meant to collect, not more for yourself. <laughs> I love how Jesus was so gracious. I think we might say some other things. (laughs) Um, So Zacchaeus would have spent his life collecting more tax than what he was supposed to. Um, The story tells us that he was a supervisor. So he's had a long history of collecting tax. He's actually been so well at doing this that he's been promoted time and time again. He's an expert in his field. Um, Very wealthy. He would have had a home. Um, you know, definitely he's not at the bottom of the food chain by, by any, any chances. Um, but to live a life like this for Zacchaeus, it actually came at a cost. So socially he was re- rejected. Uh, they actually were seen as traitors. Um, they were cast out, unpopular, understandable. Uh, politically as a, ta- you know, unpopular politically as a tax collector, regarded as a traitor, which I said, and religiously, this is interesting, they were excommunicated. They were regarded as the lowest form of sinner. And it's, you know, I was reading a little bit about this, and the rabbis of the day, it's believed that they debated whether it was even possible for a tax collector, tax collector to experience true repentance. And you just think, like, what is that for religious judgment? <laughs> and think of Zacchaeus and the life that he lived and Jesus positioning him, you know, in his life and having that encounter, it makes you go, this is a pretty big deal. And you can see why the crowd was sort of like, well, no, I want to have lunch with Jesus. Why are you having lunch with him? He's the worst of the worst sinner. We don't even believe that he can even repent from what he's done. It's a great judgment to live under, isn't it? You know, we can presume Zacchaeus... Um, he had a house, he had a family, he's probably over middle age. He'd worked very hard for them. And despite all of this, what was happening in his life, being top of the food chain, like he scurried and climbed a tree to try and catch a glimpse of Jesus. Like what's happening in his life? One, that he's living the way that he is, but two, that he actually wants to catch of Jesus. It's sort of, you would think that he'd believe he didn't need Jesus. You know, I love that when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he didn't see his sin He didn't see, oh, that's that tax collector. Um, That's that thief. What did Jesus see? He saw a lost and broken person who was seeking a change in his life, who was seeking 
new direction. You know, he saw a person who wasn't satisfied with the way that they were living. You know, and I think we can imagine that on the inside for Zacchaeus, he had so much, but he probably felt a little bit empty, probably felt a little bit unfulfilled. You know, in our humanity, humanity, many people, including us, we can feel that because of our sin, our imperfections that God will turn away from us. Um, in this story, what does Jesus demonstrate? He actually demonstrates the opposite. You know, in our sin, in our, in our mess, in our vulnerability, um, Jesus actually draws to us. Jesus actually invites himself into our life. How cool is that? And such a, you know, for me, I'm like, I want to remember that, you know, when I'm struggling or battling, that no, God's actually not distancing himself like Zacchaeus. He's actually coming towards us. He sees us. I love <laughs> Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch today. God actually invites himself into our lives. And when that happens, may we, may we accept that invitation. Um, no, nah, it's good. So Jesus made a way for Zacchaeus and his household to encounter grace where there seemed to be no way. And, you know, what would have kept Zacchaeus from Jesus? What? Maybe it was his lifestyle. Maybe it would have been his greed. Maybe it would have been his pride, you know, the wealth, the perception of people. But, you know, it could be anything. But I think the biggest barrier would have been religion. <laughs> I think religion would have kept him away from Jesus. A lack of grace, a lack of truth, and a lack of community. You know, countercultural, what did we say before? Countercultural reaches out to people. Countercultural is about God and not religion. And it breaks down the barriers between God and people. What did Jesus do in this situation? He broke down some barriers. He reached out. He made a way. And the amazing result was that um, redemption came to a man's life and transformation came into a man's life and into his family. And just think, um, imagine Jesus in some ways <laughs> isn't Jesus. He's just a regular person. Can you just imagine on a relational level the power of what Jesus did just alone? Zacchaeus was alone. He was isolated. He may have had his wealth, but he was empty. He was cast out. Jesus stepped out and made an effort to connect with him. You know, when you feel alone and isolated, this speaks volumes. When someone loves on you unconditionally, what does it do? It breaks down our walls. You know, the result was salvation of a household. And salvation, what does that mean? It means freedom. And I love the last line in the story. It relates to Jesus' mission. You know, the Son of Man came to seek out and give life to those who are lost. Freedom for the brokenhearted. And I think for us, and even what Rosie was saying with this young mum that she'd become friends with, who felt alone and isolated and nervous to meet new people, how's that power of just relationally connecting with someone, saying, hey, have a coffee, hey, let's do lunch, hey, I'm going to get into your world, just, oh, that actually opened up the doors for Zacchaeus, man. Love it. Probably, I'm going to share another story now, and when I was thinking about Zacchaeus, and the next story, I was like, oh, these are probably my two favorite stories now in the Bible, <laughs> um, just of what Jesus is doing. So the next story I want to look at, we're tracking really good for time, guys. It's really good. You should be impressed. Um, so the next story I want to look at is in John 5 uh, from verse 1. And it's called, 
another tricky word to pronounce, um, the healing of Beth, Beth, the healing of Beth, the healing of um, Beth, oh, oh, it's going to be up there, yes, yes, Bethsaida, Bethsaida, let's go with that, so it's the healing of the story of um, a paralyzed man, look, it's named better than what I was calling it, last week I was talking to Rosie on the way home from church, and I said, do you know that story about the swirling water man, and she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, no, 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 the swirling water man. And she's like, is that even in the Bible? <laughs> it is in the Bible. And it's, if I wrote the Bible, that's what it would be called. But it's not. <laughs> it's called the healing at Bethsaida. It's a little bit better, isn't it? Anyway, let's read <laughs> about the swirling water man. And you, you actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so Jesus, then Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe uh, one of the Jewish holidays. Inside, near the sheep gate, there was a pool called Aramaic, the house of loving kindness. And this pool is surrounded by five covered porches. So try and imagine this. Five covered porches surrounding a pool. Hundreds of sick people were lying on the porches. The paralyzed, the blind, the crippled, all of them waiting for their healing. For an angel of the Lord would periodically descend into the pool to stir the waters and the first one who stepped into the pool after the waters swirled would instantly be healed. Hence, swirling water man. Um, from verse 5. Now there, now there was a man that had been disabled for 38 years, lying among the multitude of the sick. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew the man had been crippled for a long time. So Jesus said to him, Do you truly long to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, there's no way that I can get healed, for I have no one who will lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else runs ahead and jumps in. You know, this man, I think it's safe to say, he didn't know who he was in the presence of. Maybe he'd never heard of Jesus, but he certainly did not recognize Jesus or know that healing could come from him. In verse 8, Jesus said to him, Stand up. Pick up your sleeping mat and you will walk. Immediately he stood up and he was healed. So he picked up, he rolled up his yoga mat and walked again. You know, what a miracle, I don't know. Can you imagine being this man? Not only are you really, really unwell, you've been unwell for 38 years. And we can say that he's at least 38. Maybe he was born like this. Maybe an accident happened and then he wasn't able to walk from there. But for such a long time, he's been sick. He's been unwell. And on top of just being unwell, living in a culture where at the time, if you had a sickness or a disability, it was actually seen as a punishment from God. You've done something wrong. You know, you must have done something really bad. Your parents really stuffed up for you to turn up like that. It was actually seen that you'd been punished by God. This man was desperate. And who knows how long, how many years he'd been stationed at the pool, day after day on the edge of the pool waiting for an opportunity for healing. And the story tells us that he was alone. He had no family, no friends, and no community. The story tells us that no one cared for him. He was abandoned. Every time the water bubbled up, there was no one there to help him hop in. And um, I think we all can imagine you would have just felt so helpless and so hopeless being this man 
waiting for healing to come, but not having anyone surrounding you to actually help you to do that. Putting your hope in water bubbling up periodically. What does that mean? Is that once a year, once a month, once a, once a decade? And then not being the first to even hop in. Um, yeah, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? But then in this story, Jesus, otherwise known as the hope of the world, enters the situation, enters his life. Jesus, once again, what do we see? Jesus isn't drawing away. Jesus is actually drawing towards this man. And for this man, yes, physical healing. He was physically healed. That, that's a miracle in itself. But imagine being this man because physical healing, sorry, healing represented so much more to him. Healing meant that, yes, he could walk, but it also meant no longer did he have to be alone. No longer would he be isolated and cast out because of the culture of his time. Healing meant that he could be loved and accepted, and maybe that was for the first time in his life. It's pretty weighty, isn't it? Luke 4, 19, why did Jesus come? He came to seek to save the lost, to bring hope to the poor, freedom to the brokenhearted, and sight to the blind. Countercultural, what is it? It's focused. It has a sound. It reaches out, as Jesus did here. And it's about God and not religion. And if we kept reading in this story, um, the religious teachers, pastors of this time, weren't happy. <laughs> Jesus, he did a miracle on a Sabbath, and that's a day of rest. And I'm sorry, that's illegal. So technically that miracle didn't happen, even though you're walking. So <laughs> Jesus, not only did he step out, but he actually, again, religion was stopping this man from coming into healing and wholeness. What did Jesus come? He actually came to remove the barriers that religion had put up between people encountering love and grace. And I'm sort of coming to a close. I might get the band up if they're around, not looking after Bob's. I'll hand back to Rosie uh, soon. So sort of bringing this all together. Countercultural is focused. It has a sound. It reaches out as Jesus did. And it's about God and not religion. And um, I think when we look at these two stories, there's a lot in them. And my hope and purpose today, the message that I was bringing, I just wanted to build on Vision Sunday. I wanted to build on the vision that Dave and Chriselle had presented last week. And actually to encourage us that in this season, 2020, God's empowering us as HTC to see people's lives change, to see a new culture and community begin. These two stories can rep represent so many people that we know and come across. Maybe people who have everything, but deep down inside feel empty, unfulfilled, or people who are desperate and just holding on. You know, both men were isolated. Both men were cast out of their communities for different things. And it's ironic that they were actually at different ends of the spectrum in life. <laughs> one man has everything. One man has nothing. But yet they're both feeling the same. That's, that's our humanity, isn't it? <laughs> and Jesus' response was the same to both of them. Despite who they were, their reputations, he went to them. He drew to them. He involved himself in their lives and they were healed, redeemed, restored and set free.
And I love that both of them are actually brought back into community. And I think that in this season, part of the call and mandate on our church is to bring people, to welcome people back into community. Sometimes when people are in a place of hopelessness, waiting for healing, maybe their hope's in the wrong place, what we need to do is what Jesus did. We just need to go with them. We just need to connect them in and in a non-weird way, somehow invite ourselves into their lives like Jesus did with Zacchaeus, you know. And I just encourage you this morning, today, this season, let's allow God to stir our faith, to build our faith. Let's allow God to empower us. And come on like Esther, let's step out in this season because if we want to see something new and fresh happen in our community and those around us, if we just do the same and same, we're going to get the same result. But if we step out in faith, we're going to see something amazing happen. I'm going to hand over to Rosie now. She comes running back up from looking after Lucy. Thanks, church. Stay, stay, Dean. I'm going to get you to pray.